Okay. Ready to go? Fire away. Here we are, September 22nd, 2013, lecture discussion number 124 on the book of Romans, 124. And today is uh, part three of the hind of the morning, uh, uh, which is what we're doing, or really Psalm 22. And I mentioned this for those that miss. Um, it's always difficult to do this. People miss this time of year, especially all the hunters are gone. I was just telling the for the Internet folks, uh, grandson Jacob has come for me and Lori uh, and Eric and Lindsay, and um, that we're thrilled with that. It's snowing in Fairbanks. It's very cold in Anchorage. I got a difficult week to go, so I'm very hard to reach, and I have a lot of emails to, to write back, and I have not done it. I'm sorry about that. I just have one more tough week. I've got a poor foundation on the 2nd of October, and I know that it's going to be, have to build a tent and heat it to get it to go through, and it's going to be a tough, tough week for me. So, uh, I, again, I regret that I haven't had time. But I want everyone to know this, especially the Internet folks, if you have missed Part 1 and 2, um, lecture number 122 and 123 on the book of Romans, um, it's, it's very, very important that you go back and at least get on the Internet. Uh, we're at cliffside.org. Is that correct, Dave? Make sure I get that right. Uh, and Podbean. Um, it's, it, in order to bring all of this, and I'll, I'll review a little bit today from the previous Sunday to to current Sunday today, this is one of those subjects that requires at least a basic recognition of the issues, uh, which is my way of saying that if you missed part one and you've missed part two, then part three becomes oh so more difficult, so does part four and part five, and I'll probably get to seven, so there's a little mini-series in here on Psalm 22, it's an exponential problem, so take the time if you can to go back and uh, uh, there's no way I can repeat all the information every Sunday. It just would bog us down completely. But this is that important of a subject. Psalm uh, 22, as an aside, really quickly, is considered to be in a three-part series itself. So uh, knowing that becomes important. Whenever you read Psalm 22, you should know that there are three of them that are linked together. Psalm 23 and Psalm 24. So they themselves are a series. Almost always Psalm 22 or Psalm 23 is separated out and not even recognized as being in this trilogy, so to speak. Scholars refer to Psalm 22. It is called the prophecy, if you will, of the good shepherd. Psalm 23 is called the prophecy of the great shepherd. And Psalm 24, the chief shepherd. Okay. So there's three prophecies laid down there. Uh, one, the Good Shepherd, of course, is John 10, 11, Psalm uh, 23. The mystery of the Great Shepherd is Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. And Psalm 24, the mystery of the Chief Shepherd, is 1 Peter 5, 4. As you know, and most of you know the verses there, the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. That is the prophecy or the mystery of Psalm 22. The Great Shepherd who is resurrected and ascended uh, who is caring for and transforming his sheep from the throne. That's Hebrews. And the chief shepherd who comes again as king uh, is the uh, Psalm 24 prophecy. So we could spend the whole day just there. The, the three, the, and I hope you recognize, is that, recognize immediately, that's the three offices of Christ, isn't it? Uh, it's also called this. It's called, he comes first as a prophet, right? And then he comes as a high priest. And then he comes as king. 
So we have the three offices, if you will. What did I put an H there, didn't I? I'll get it right some other time. Have to go fast today. Just, I want you to recognize that the trilogy is there. The first verse of the trilogy is what Christ says from the cross. He wrote it, didn't he? He knows that's a trilogy. He knows that the very first verse makes you go through all three of them and understand this prophecy of his three offices or his three phases, if you wish. And so just know that for today. That's all we'll do. We won't spend any more time on it. I I just can't. Anyway, last Sunday I said that the key to understanding the mystery of why Jesus Christ in this extraordinarily loud voice, this deafening, roaring, uh, just powerful sound, Sound waves, of course, uh, have impact. I was watching uh, uh, Mythbusters last night. I love myth, Mythbusters. I barely say it. Um, I think everybody should watch Mythbusters. You should also watch anybody that exposes these really, really simple cons that go on, especially the ones that destroy the church. We are such suckers in the church today. We fall for so much nonsense. And it strips us of all kinds of things, most certainly the money. But uh, they were doing explosions and measuring the impact of the wave, the, the pressure that comes out of that explosion and how far it would travel and what it would impact and how much damage it would do. Well, sound wave has the same kind of impact in a sense. It's a wave. It has pressure to it. That's what these speakers do. They're pushing air to the back of the auditorium. When we fire up these great big ones here, uh, TJ came to see me today. He said, please, 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 can we get... You won't believe what we've got here, this stuff overhead. It's a Ferrari. When it goes off, it is amazing. And it pushes a lot of air, especially at full volume. We've got almost 15,000 watts of power hidden underneath a piece of plastic over here. And we're still waiting to find the time and we have a few more pieces to go to put it all together. But it's powerful and that's what's happening here. The sound that comes is loud and there's pressure to it. You feel it as well as hear it. And he quotes Psalm 22.1 in this incredible voice of his. Very, very loud from the cross. It's his fourth saying of his seven sayings of the, uh, from the cross. And, and to know why he's doing it, what the key to understanding the mystery, all of that is found in just knowing the title to Psalm 22. To knowing that Psalm 22 has a title and that Psalm 22 is something. It's a psalm. And the title to the song, and some, by the way, believe he actually sang that verse. When he, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is the first, I was telling somebody earlier, had he sung the first verse of the battle hymn of the Republic, you would all recognize immediately that's a song. Why does he sing this song? Fourth saying, in a loud voice, a deafening, fearful voice. Why does he sing this? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the name of the song is called The Hind of the Morning. Now, this is a little bit of repeating for those who've missed it. 
So, in order to understand why Psalm 22, at least know that he's quoting a song, maybe even singing the first verse. Some think that he sang the whole thing, all of Psalm 22. But he also knows that it's part of a trilogy that is talking is a prophecy about who? Himself. That's how it starts. So we have to at least know that and start out with trying to figure out what does the hind of the morning mean, and then more specifically, not just the what, who is the hind of the morning? Who is this about? And once that's successfully dealt with, then the complaint that is Psalm 22.1. That first verse is a complaint. It's a... you can properly assess that now and correctly interpret it. Psalm 22.1 is, accuses God of things. It's accusatory. It's complaining against Him. Now, who does that? Immediately, does God com- accuse God? It's, it's senseless to think things like that. Obviously, Christ being God would not accuse Himself of something. And it's sin to do so, by the way, as we covered last week. But all of that, it, it, that uh, just understanding the title is not an easy task. It's going to take a long time, and I'm just going to briefly go by it. It's one of those bring-a-lunch things, uh, and people have devoted their lifetime to trying to figure out the title, The Hind of the Morning. And many have quit. They gave up. They don't think it's translatable, and we'll get to that in a minute. But you may remember that I quickly submitted two views on the meaning of David's title last week for uh, Psalm 22. And obviously the position that I agree with is that the hind in context is fleeing. It's on whatever or whoever the hind is, is has been running from a pack of hunters that are hunting him or hunting him. And I equated last week, think of it almost like an animal that is being pursued by a pack of wolves or, or whatever predators you wish and is almost caught. And is right on the verge of being uh, destroyed. And I believe that's the correct view. It's perfectly consistent with the context of Psalm 22. When you read Psalm 22 and you recognize that it's talking about the hind of the morning. And you see what it says about the hind. And you realize that this is a packed pursuit of a crippled animal or a crippled person then uh, you begin to recognize why it's uh, written the way it is, what the song is about. And I think that's the correct view. Obviously, that's the one I I expressed last week, and I think the descriptions that are expressed therein of Psalm 22 are consistent with the context. But as usual, as shocking as this may seem to you, uh, there are those who disagree with me. There are lots of them, and and I want to to mention them. I, I would be remiss if I didn't. You need to know what all the views are. You'll see that I don't have my usual brand of medicine today. I have this uh, Coca-Cola Zero. I say that because I expect Coca-Cola to reimburse me for all the advertising that I've given them over the years. So far, uh, they haven't contacted me. Is it as good as Diet Coke? No. It is different. And maybe that's good for me occasionally. Okay, it should be noted that God inspired King David. Holy Spirit inspired King David to title Psalm 22, The Hind of the Morning. What does that mean? 
And that's the primary reason that many commentators refuse to attempt a translation. They just think it can't be translated. So they say, to honor the song title, we won't try. But I believe that it can be translated, obviously, and I believe you can understand uh, what it's about. I think the whole point of the title is that Christ made sure that everyone understood what he was doing. But in any any event, there was a great mystery, still is a great mystery, uh, about what the title means and why it was titled. And I submit that the description uh, portrayal that follows the title provides a translation. And so, uh, again, the great disagreement there. I submit also the title of Psalm 22, the hind of the morning, and that which is immediately subsequent then solves the mystery as to why Christ quotes it from the cross, why it's his fourth saying. In other words, solve the meaning of the hind of the morning and you solve why Christ shouts it and to whom he shouts it to. And again, let me just say this. I know that my position here um, is not the... uh, Majority view. The majority view has uh, Christ in defeated on the cross, trying to get out of it uh, and uh, complaining and crying for himself and in great despair. I think the opposite is true. He's omnipotent God, as uh, Bill said that we always say here, which means he is a, has power that we can't even imagine. Un- unimaginable creative capability. Uh, and he possesses it at all times. There's never a time when he doesn't have it. And he never cries for himself. That would be selfishness and sinful. So I want you to know this this position at least. Know that it is the oldest one, and it is the one, and frankly, that is is the only one that fits. So that's why I want to make sure as many people hear it at least. I said last Sunday, and it bears repeating, that the hind of more of the morning is not Jesus Christ. He's not the hind of the morning. He knows who the hind of the morning is. And he's about to reveal who it is. He solves the mystery. He solves all the mysteries. He knows all the answers. Duh. He is not the hind of the morning. The complaint of Psalm 22.1, the three questions are not something that he would ever say about himself. He's God in the flesh. He would never say... These things about himself. They don't apply to him. None of Psalm 22 can or did ever apply to Jesus Christ. And anyone who twists it to make it apply has to do exactly that. We call it beat to fit. They have to beat it in there to make it happen. But there is no logical defense, and it certainly doesn't fit any of Scripture. We like it, though, in the church today. When I say we, I mean them. It's... People want a Christ who is weak, complaining, accusing God of forsaking him, of not listening to him, of not helping him. They like that. They write books about it. And it isn't true. It's never been true, and it can't be true. Okay, so the title of the psalm, none of Psalm 22.1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? can be applied to Christ. It's not something he would ever ask. It's not something that's true, by the way. 
nor does the title of the psalm, the hind of the morning, ever in any way apply to Jesus Christ. He's omnipotent God. The hind is what? I'm going to present the view that the hind is the, is the crippled, panicked, terrified. Christ is never terrified. It'd be sin. Fear is sin. Fear of the unknown. Fear of death. He has no fear of death. You, you must be kidding. Some will say, well, he has fear of physical pain. Again, you must be kidding. Go back and study the mind-brain issue. So the obvious, most obvious of the obvious questions then remains. Who is the hind of the morning and why is the hind of the morning being hunted down? Notice I keep saying this title to you over and over again. That is a teaching technique. What am I doing? Pounding it into you so that you always, whenever you see Psalm 22, you think immediately, what is the title of this song? And you begin to get these questions. Who is the hind of the morning? And why is the hind of the morning being hunted down? Who are the devourers then? Who are the pursuers, the one chasing the hind? Okay? I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, so let's slow down and I'll, I'll give you a little of uh, the uh, back issue here. The title in Hebrew is this. A-L-F. Ha Shakar. I gotta make sure I get it absolutely right. That is what is translated the hind of the morning. Some will say the deer of the dawn. It can't be a deer. We'll get to that in a minute. Most Hebrew uh, language experts uh, draw, they take the uh, ALF and they say, that that is a form or a derivative. A derivative of A-L-F is A-Y-A-L-A. Let me write that on there, too. For those of you who follow by Internet, uh, my apologies to the linguists, uh, linguists amongst you. My pronunciation is not very good. A-Y-Y. Do I have too many Y's in there? I do. A-Y-Y-E-L-E-T-H. H-A-S-H-A-C-H-A-R. Okay? And the A-Y-A-L-A means a female deer. That's where this deer of the morning comes from. Or doe of the morning. Now, and from the Ha-Shakar, we have Akaron. Or Akar. And from that, we get coming for the hindmost. So in this, in these words, one, they, they believe this female, this derivative is female deer, and from this, coming for the hindmost. And so that's where this, is it a female deer in the morning or is it the hindmost in the morning? And obviously I am giving you the position that it is the hind of the morning again. So the translation is mysterious and 
and I can't say enough, some say that it's not translatable. The reason they'll say that is because it appears nowhere else in the Bible except in Psalm 22. So they don't have anything to compare it to. And they say, therefore, we can't translate it. But again, I'm going to tell you, I think we can translate it because I can read what comes after the title. The title must fit the text. If I have a song about trucks, probably should have something in the verses about trucks. The title is, My Truck, and then nothing in the song is about a truck. Then I would wonder. The title, the words or the verses will reflect onto the title and vice versa. So I don't, I, I agree with those who see the title as intended to explain the song that follows. The red female deer of the morning does not accomplish that when you read what's there. We'll do a little reading on it today, but next week as well. When you see this process that is going on, what the hind describes about themselves or itself or himself or herself, whatever you wish to put, whatever the hind is describing, what David is describing that the hind is experiencing is clearly unique. And again, as I said last week, absolutely there is prophecy of the crucifixion in Psalm 22. But there is more there than just that. And I shouldn't say just that. That's unbelievable. It's sacrilege to say otherwise. But it is nonetheless more complex than what most people will assume. The hindmost of the morning, in my opinion, is the correct translation. The other options are it's a musical instrument. Uh, it's a well-known melody to a tune that the verse of uh, Psalm 22 is supposed to be sung to, and it is the female deer. Those are your choices, other than the hindmost. The hindmost is the weakened, the lame, the last of the herd, panicked and terrified and being run down and torn to pieces by predators. Those of us who knew the answer to the trivia of question one there, uh, who was president in 1953, those of us who know that would remember the common saying of the time. It said, it let the devil take the hindmost. In other words, those that are the farthest from God. So the hind of the morning is someone, or is a person in this event that has been run down, chased down, has been selected out of the herd, if you will, because it is the weakest. It can't fight. It's lame, crippled, panicked, terrified, and vulnerable. Does that describe Jesus Christ, Lord God Almighty, the I Am, the Ancient of Days? It can't be about Him. can't be. But yet, we are told every Easter, Ishtar, that this, this verse, we're never told that it's not Ishtar, it's really Passover, and we're always told that Psalm 22 is about a terrified, panicked, person who is accusing God of abandoning him. Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 19. I'll read it here. Don't have to turn because we're moving quick. Remember what Amalek did unto you. On This is God speaking. On the way, he's talking to Moses and Israel. As Israel was leaving uh, Egypt and beginning to enter into uh, the promised uh, land, uh, into that area, he says, remember what Amalek did. The Amalekites came unto you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. How he met you and killed the hindmost. 
So the first real test of, of military significance is Amalek coming after Israel as they are coming out of Egypt and he killed the hindmost. It's a historical fact. And God goes on to say this. How he met you and killed the hindmost. All the feeble at the rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. That is where the hindmost is most prominent in Scripture. Which then is going to lead us to Exodus 17, 8 through 16. That's the battle between Joshua and Amalek at Rephidim. The steadying of the hands of Moses, you might remember that from Sunday school class, a very powerful, prophetic, typological event. As his hands would come down, then Amalek would prevail. As his hands would be lifted up, then uh, uh, Joshua would prevail, and they propped his hands up. Now, what is the meaning of his hands? And who is Amalek, really? He is coming after the weakest ones that are the furthest from God. Who is he? Who does that? And he's killing them. Hunting them down, chasing them down, and killing them. They can't run. They're the stragglers. They're the slowest. They're the furthest from God. And he doesn't fear God at all. So we have we have that in, in the... The building of an altar is there in Exodus 17, and it's titled, The Lord is My Banner. And the war with Amalek from generation to generation is going to happen, it says. God will fight with Amalek from generation to generation. And and at the end, of course, is the defeat of Amalek and the blotting out. And those elements and others are going to provide added information to Psalm 22, giving us the best possible definition of the hind. Why the hind is pursued why the hind is so far from God, why David would describe whomever he is referencing as the hind, and what the morning means. It's not just the hind, it's the hind of the morning. Not the evening, not the night, the morning. Why the morning? Again, solving the mystery of who the hind is, why this is the title of Psalm 22, teaches you why he said it from the cross as the fourth saying in the loud voice. You got that, you're on your way, right? And it becomes so very important to understanding why Jesus Christ did what he did and said what he said. He sang it in such a loud voice. He knew who the hind was. Or it. He knew who comes to kill the hind most. And he knew why the hindmost were vulnerable, why they were laggards, why they were straggling, what caused it, why they were crippled. And he knew what they would say to him. Remember what I said last week. Jesus Christ is not the one who says Psalm 22 about himself. He is the one to whom Psalm 22 is said. And he answers it with Hebrews 13.5. Actually, Deuteronomy 31.6. That is the answer to Psalm 22.1, as I said a couple of weeks ago. Okay, so Jesus Christ would explain Psalm 22. He would understand it. And he would know who would be affected by his explanation. Let me say that in another way. If Jesus Christ, creator God himself, manifest in the flesh of you, in the flesh of humanity, in other words, I have God in the flesh here, if he is solving the mystery, of the flight of the hind from the cross, 
then he is revealing the heretofore concealed identity of the hind. No one knows this. No one's been able to figure it out. Christ on the cross identifies who this is. He answers the question. He does that all the time, by the way. And when he tells you, if you happen to be at the feet of the cross, and he explains by saying what he said, by quoting the first verse from the cross as the fourth saying, he explains to you then the identity of the hind, then he would also give you the identity of who else? The ones that come to kill the hind, the hunters. Both would be identified. And that crowd that's at his feet while he's on the cross, they now know that the mystery of the hind has been solved. And obviously, I'm building the case that is exactly what Jesus Christ is doing and why Psalm 22 is the fourth saying said in a loud voice, heard by all of his creation, by the way. He is solving the mystery of Psalm 22. And the key, and the key if you will, or a key to the killing of the hind in this powerful verse, uh, Psalm 22.1, is at Exodus 17.14, where we have the battle of Amalek, right? And let me read... Uh, uh, that portion to you really quickly again. You don't have to turn. I'm trying to go as fast as I can one more time. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book. This is at the battle of Amalek and Joshua. Amalek came and killed the hindmost and God responded. Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. That I will, God speaking, I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You kill my hindmost, I will blot you out. Write that down. What he says to Moses. And he's quoting the hind of the morning from the cross. That makes perfect sense. Who's there? By the way, how's his disciples and how the people that witnessed every single miracle, how are they holding up? And who's looking for? We gotta ask eventually, where in scripture does this utter blotting out of the killers of the hindmost occur? We know it's in the books. We've got two books to look into. Book of Life is one of them. We have to find all these books, or both of those books. We'll do that in the weeks to come. But where did this happen? It hasn't happened yet, obviously. And I want you to consider that for a moment uh, while I move on to another key, which is the scarlet worm. He gives you, or crimson worm. He gives you... Uh, Clues in Psalm 22, what he's trying to tell you. Let's go ahead and read some of Psalm 22 while I'm still doing okay. I'm afraid to not get done with these lectures on this and not get them fitting in. Uh, and so that's, again, why I have such urgency. 
So here we go. Swal- swalm, Psalm 22, but start at verse 6 where this clue, this key is. Go ahead and turn there and I'll give you a second and I'll take more medicine that isn't as good as my normal medicine. Might be in your bulletin. Let me see if it is. Yes, and it's not there correctly. We don't know the article for sure. The article was always in doubt because we always, as a, as a translation, we have a tendency to put A when it should be the. So I'm going to read it as the definitive article because I believe this is, and we'll get into double reference here in just a second, I believe this portion uh, uh, is said by Christ himself or applies to Christ. Uh, and again, I'll explain that in a minute. But here we go. But I, the worm, and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip and they shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Obviously, who is that about? Those last few sentences there, nine and ten verses. But not far, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Uh, again, obviously, the 9 through 11 is talking about the hind again. 6 through 8, I believe, is Jesus Christ. Again, that's double reference. We'll get to it in a minute. But many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. Why are the bones out of joint? Why is he out of water? Why is he poured out? He's bleeding. Whoever this is, this hind, my heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up. Can we dry up the strength of Jesus Christ? Can I get rid of omnipotence? How long does it take? He began to say, okay, who's saying what? And my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Okay, now I'm obviously back to Christ again. Where did I go previously? And that is called the law of double reference. Again, uh, just a second, I'll go back to it. But here I am now back at verse 6. I am the scarlet crimson worm. That's what he's saying there. I am the crimson worm. This is clearly a statement that only Jesus Christ could make or would make. No one else would make it. No one else could make it. The confession comes when it is assigned to, or I'm sorry, the confusion comes when it is assigned to David. David did not say that about himself. Christ would say that about himself. Christ would not say about himself uh, any of the complaint of 22.1. David did not either, I don't believe. I think that is the cry of the hind. Could be double fulfillment, but I don't think that's the case here. But we'll get to that in the weeks to come. But clearly Christ will say that he is the worm. He is saying to you, I am the, squar- the scarlet crimson worm. And that's where we're into double reference. Let me try to explain it. So far the order has been what? The hind complains that God has forsaken him. As the hind of the morning is being run down, about to be devoured, eaten, the hind is exhausted, it's crippled, it's weak, it's far from God. 
In despair, panic, the heart has melted, the bones have been exposed. Run as far as it can run. By the way, was it caught a couple of times before it got away again? Being torn to pieces over time. Crying out while being eaten. That's the fart. That's how we start. And you can see that, by the way, uh, it starts that way. We have this interlude of verses, and then it gives you more information about the hind, doesn't it? And three questions are screened, three accusations. God, why have you abandoned me? God, why won't you help me? God, why won't you listen to me? And God answers these questions. Deuteronomy 31.6, Hebrews 13.5, same thing. I will never, never, no, ever leave you or forsake you. Never. That's the answer. It's not ever proper to ask him if he will forsake you because he told us he will never do it. So to even ask the question is what? Disrespectful. You're questioning his character. I will never abandon you. I will never leave you. Never. Hebrews 13.5, powerfully written. As you know, these three accusations or those three questions are invalid. They're not true. And then after those questions, David writes this, but you are holy. So he's saying the questions aren't true. They're invalid. God is holy. What does holy mean? And lie. He's good. He does what he says. You are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them as you promised. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. What does that mean? They were not ashamed of their trust in God's word. God does not abandon. He does hear. He does help. And he does rescue us from death. So that's our order so far. Next comes this other perfect order. What should come next absolutely comes perfectly next. I am the worm of Jonah. I am the scarlet worm of Jonah 4.7, of Isaiah 1.18, of Job 25.6. Rahab leaves, throws a cord out. What color is it? So that in Jericho, in the battle of Jericho, Jericho will not, the Israelites will not destroy her house. What color is that cord? Scarlet. It's the same word as the, it comes from the crimson worm. That's where they get the color. Christ says, I am that worm. And it's in the perfect place. It's exactly where it should be. A crimson, a crimson, I can barely say it, worm. The scarlet dye, the scarlet worm, the, the color comes from it again. And it, 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 what it does, this worm does, is it attaches itself to something before it dies. Before it gives birth. It's going to die while it's giving birth. It attaches itself to a piece of wood. How shocking, huh? Of course we would expect that. So the worm goes and finds a piece of wood and attaches itself to it. Christ says, I'm the worm. I am attaching myself to a piece of wood. And now it lays her eggs and then it dies after it covers her eggs with this red fluid. From that, the Israelites would take that red fluid and they would make the beautiful scarlet color 
That's what Rahab used to put that cord out her window. Is that color. And the worm will color all her children in it, or if you will, all her offspring would be a better word, because they're little worms. But all of them are colored red as she dies. And the wood is turned red. And again, I am this worm, Jesus Christ declared, covering his own believers with his scarlet blood. So Psalm 22, 1 through 2, to repeat, is the cry and the accusation, accusations of the doomed hind of the morning. Psalm 22, 3 through 5, that follows that, is the rebuttal to it. Psalm 22, 6, 3, 6 through 8, is a prophecy of Jesus Christ that begins with, I am the worm. So there is your double reference. The first group is referencing the hind. The second group is David rebutting that. The third group of verses that I just covered is Christ himself. Double reference. So I have three passages side by side, interwoven, referencing three different events that are separated by great distances of time, great space of time. The Hebrews write that way always. It's called the principle of double reference or the law of double reference. And you have to know the fundamental place that it is at is here in Psalm 22. It's in Isaiah. It's in Zechariah. All through the Bible. As I said a couple of weeks ago, it's important that you know that law. I don't have time to re-explain it. Go back and find it. But that's what's happening here. Now, I am aware that some think that King David thinks that he is calling himself the hind of the morning. But to repeat, there is no known incident in David's life that is that fits the description of Psalm 22. And we're going to soon investigate 2 Samuel 24 in the weeks to come where he has three decisions to make, or he has three decisions put in front of him and he chooses one. Now, Jesus Christ allows the Pharisees. Now, consider again, I'm going to jump ahead to where he is when he sings the first verse of this. Jesus Christ allows the Pharisees and the rulers of the city of Jerusalem to mock him and to ridicule him. And they actually say this, 22.8, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. They actually say it to him, word for word. Those are the exact words of the Pharisees. And by the way, he trusted in the Lord. That takes you back to our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. So I have this connection between um, verse 4 and verse uh, verse 8. But again, the exact words of the Pharisees, the chief priests, the scribes, the crowd that was below him. Matthew 27, 43. Even the two thieves said these exact words. He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Everyone under his cross said exactly what was written at Psalm 22.8, word for word. Hundreds of years before it happened, they said it. And Jesus was doing what? Waiting for them to say it. Because he knew what? It's a prophecy. And he knew he was going to fulfill it. And so were they. 22.8, 
Think of it like a play, if you will. Parts of it are almost like a script. It's almost like Christ handed out the script to the Pharisees and the people underneath him. And they're saying exactly, it's their turn to say, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Jesus waited and allowed them to continue. I think uh, that they probably kept saying it over and over and over again, almost they were mocking him with it. And I want to know how long did it go on and how many times did they say it? And did they know that they were saying word for word Psalm 22.8? I don't think they did. I think they're so blind and so hateful, they don't even know what's going on. That This is the crimson worm, and we're going to sing the song, The Hind of the Morning, and we don't even know we're singing it. But all that changed when the Lord God Almighty, the I Am, the Ancient of Days, with the deafening power of His voice, sings the first verse. sings the first verse of the hind of the morning. And everybody knew right then, we're we're in Psalm 22. Now, if he sang the whole thing, as uh, some commentators, Matthew Henry being one of the most prominent from the 1800s, if he did, in fact, sing the whole thing, then he's going to sing verse 22.8 for them, isn't he? The very words that they have been chanting at him. But I'm telling you that somebody in the crowd figured out what was happening at that point. Somebody always does. And everybody now knows something has happened. The Pharisees are there, aren't they? And what did they do as a general purpose? as a general mode of operation, their standard procedure. What are they always doing? They have committee meeting after committee meeting, and they're always devising little things for Christ to fall into. That was the Sadducees that came to him and said, there is no no verse in the Pentateuch written by Moses, the first five books, that says there is an afterlife, that there is a resurrection. That's the, the verses, as you know, where they ask him, whose husband or whose wife will this woman be who had all of these husbands that were brothers. That is, they are saying to him, you cannot come up with a verse in the Old Testament. Now, who are they talking to? They're talking to the one who wrote the the Old Testament. They don't know that. But you cannot come up with a verse in the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, that say there's any resurrection. And he says to them, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Meaning that Abraham... Isaac and Jacob are still in the present tense. They they exist. They have immortality. He found a verse like that. Stop that discussion. Destroyed that sect. It never rose up again. Of course he would find it. Well, the Pharisees are constantly trying to trap him. And they spring traps all the time to ensnare Christ. And they always fail miserably. He, they're, they're, playing, they're playing cards with God. He sees the cards. But they're doing that. And so, all of a sudden, and this back and forth has been going on. Christ would destroy their positions and they would attempt to have another committee meeting and try another trap. And he always destroyed them. 
But they immediately realize something when he begins to sing the first verse of the song, The Hind of the Morning. They realize that they have been trapped. They're caught. And they have no escape. Because they are chanting verse 8. They are what? Who are they in the story? They're the pursuers. They're the devourers of the hind. The Pharisees have identified themselves. The song is happening in real time. The Pharisees are the one who ridicule and mock the blood of the worm. He is the worm that bleeds and provides life from his blood, if you will, for his descendants. And the Pharisees are the ones who are ridiculing him. So they're ridiculing the blood sacrifice and they are ridiculing uh, the one who is above them. They are the mockers. And they say, think about what they said. He trusted in the Lord. They accused Jesus Christ. They mocked Christ for defending who from the three accusations? They mocked Christ for defending the character of God from the accusations of the hind of the morning. Trusting in God is to say God will bring us out of death. The Pharisees then are exposed as the one who mocked the deliverance from death. The worm. The worm is a picture of deliverance from death. The covering of the red blood delivers the offspring. They know what that meant. They're the ones who ridicule salvation and eternal life. Because they're the ones saying verse 8. Over and over and over again. He put them in a position where they would identify themselves as the killers of the hind. They're exposed. They mock the deliverance of death. They mock the salvation and eternal life. Jesus Christ is the blood provider. He is the worm. The Pharisees are the ones who hate the blood. Because that's what the song says. They didn't know the song was a prophecy and they didn't know they were in it. The blood provider, he doesn't need to be delivered. He doesn't need to be rescued. He doesn't need to be saved. He is the rescuer. He is the provider. He is the saver, savior. And the song makes that absolutely clear. So, as the musicians come forward, We rise to be dismissed. This is our